Good morning, Redeemer. It's wonderful to be with you uh, in our last part of Zechariah. Uh, we've been working through Zechariah for seven weeks now, and we've come to an end. And if this passage is, uh, in some ways, it's, it's a confronting passage. Uh, there's some confronting and hard parts in it. Uh, this is a passage which I think uh, really draws together uh, the themes of all of Zechariah. Uh, it's a passage which points us to hope in Jesus. And for that reason, I'm, I'm really excited to, to be in this passage with you today. Uh, so please uh, keep your Bibles open. Uh, the text is there in your outlines, um, or you can pull it up on your phone. Uh, but, but let's pray uh, that God would show us wonderful things in his word. Father, thank you uh, that you speak to us. Uh, thank you that in Jesus, uh, your promises to us are yes. Oh, Father, thank you that uh, you are at work in this world. So, Lord, give us eyes to see it. Uh, help us to see you clearly in your word today. Draw us to you, yourself in dependence and in hope. It's in Jesus' good and great name that we pray. Amen. Well, last year when D Pastor Dave asked me which book I would like to preach a series on, if I've got about seven weeks early in the year, which book would I want to preach a series on, I knew the answer immediately, Zechariah. So it's my fault, so if anyone wants to, wants to know, um, <laughs> Zechariah. But, and it wasn't because of the, uh, the dreams, it wasn't because of the, the crazy pictures of things with wings and uh, lead lids and uh, the, the strange dreams. It was because of an idea that we've seen throughout uh, Zechariah, uh, which is the day of small things. Zechariah was written to people who lived in a day of small things where God had made great promises Yet their experience, what they could see, was pretty small. Uh, God's people had returned to Jerusalem, which was meant to be God's city, yet it was in ruins. Uh, God's people were to rebuild the temple where God was meant to dwell with his people, dwell on earth. Yet uh, the temple was in ruins and the, the project to rebuild it seemed impossible. It was a day of small things. But even as we progressed through Zechariah, we saw that God did what seemed impossible. The temple was built. Our people did return. The city began to function again. Yet even then, it remained a day of small things, didn't it? The temple was built. Uh, the leaders were, were raised up. Yet the temple was tiny compared to the old temple, Solomon's temple. They were in the city, yet it was tiny. It was pathetic compared to what it had been, and it was tiny compared to what God had promised. And as we hear about the day of small things in Zechariah, I think we can resonate with it. In many ways, we live in a day of small things. God has promised us that we are his people, that all who trust in Jesus are his people, loved by God, yet we sometimes don't feel this love fully. 
God tells us that if we trust in Jesus, our sin has been taken away. We are forgiven. We are made holy. Yet we know that we still struggle with sin every day. Jesus has promised that he is building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yet day by day, maybe in our church or in our small group, it can feel like, actually, we're pretty vulnerable. Uh, it, it feels like it wouldn't take the gates of hell to, bring, to, uh, to stop what God is doing here. And as we look around the world, we know that Jesus is Lord of all, that all authority in heaven on earth has been given to him. Yet we see so many who don't uh, trust in Jesus. Uh, so, so much power around the world seems to be held by other powers working against uh, what God is doing. Yet as Zechariah speaks to those in the day of small things, as it speaks to God's people then and speaks to us today, this passage and all of Zechariah tells us something very clear. For you who live in the day of small things need to remember that there is a big day coming. There is a great day coming, the day of the Lord. And on the day of the Lord, God will be king over all the earth. It's summed up in verse 9 of this chapter. Verse 9, the, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day the Lord will be one and his name one. For anyone who feels like they're living in a day of small things, anyone who feels like their experience doesn't measure up to what God has promised or what they hope for, God said there is a day coming, there is a great day coming when the Lord will be king over all the earth. And we'll see this in four ways uh, throughout uh, today's passage before we think about what it means for us today. And the first of those ways is that on the day of the Lord, judgment is coming for God's people. And it will be terrible judgment. And we hear in verse, from verse 1, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord, when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. So the nations are going to attack Jerusalem. There's a day of judgment coming, uh, a day when God's people will be surrounded and defeated. Uh, even they'll be so defeated that their possessions will be divided in their midst. He says the nations will come against Jerusalem to battle. Then we get a picture of the, the terrible... What, War looked like in those days, the injustice, the evil that happened when a city was overtaken. The city shall be taken, the houses planted, the women raped. Half the city shall go into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. This gives us a picture of terrible evil, destruction, the worst of injustice. God said there is, a, there is a day coming when there's going to be judgment. Those who are indulging in sin, those living in sin, there's a warning. God says, I'm coming to judge all evil, even evil in my own people. He says judgment is coming for God's people. And we see this in the, the worst terms, evil, injustice, wrong. But that's not the whole story. He says, on the day of the Lord, judgment is coming for God's people, but salvation is also coming for God's people. Read from verse 3. 
Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward, the other half southward, and you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountain shall reach to Azel. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. God warns his people there is a day coming when judgment will come, yes, but God will fight for his people. The nations will come and fight against you. They will oppress you. There will be evil, yet God will fight for you. It's a picture of God himself coming. The Lord my God will come. And when God comes, he stands on the Mount of Olives, the mountain just outside of Jerusalem, and he is fighting for his people, protecting his people, defeating their enemies. When God comes, uh, it's so great that there is an earthquake that tears the mountain in half. God says he is coming, he will fight. God's people need not fear these nations for God will fight for them. Salvation is coming for God's people. Yet if the focus in lots of Zechariah has been on this city, Jerusalem, we start to see that the salvation God will bring is bigger than a city of stone and wood. On verse 6, he says, On that day there shall be no light, cold or frost. It's almost like the seasons are passing away. And there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. He's saying there'll be no more darkness. This day there will be light forever. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. A day of salvation is coming for God's people, but not just for one city in one place. He's speaking of the renewal of the whole creation. Salvation is coming and Jerusalem will be renewed, but all of creation, the seasons, there'll be no more darkness, only light. As Jerusalem is renewed, living water will flow from it, rivers of living water, to bless and feed the rest of the world. Salvation is coming. We're told the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. We hear the whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. Everything will be flattened except... His people, Jerusalem, will be lifted up. Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate, to the corner gate, from the Tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. In these days, Jerusalem was small, tiny compared to what it had been under King David and King Solomon. But these dimensions God gives that said Jerusalem will again reach its larger size, how it was when it was glorious under, under David and Solomon. He says, the, the land will be flattened, yet my people, my city will be lifted up. It will again be great. Verse 11, it shall be inhabited. 
There shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. The day of the Lord is coming, he says, when I will save my people. We hear in verse 20 that this is a day when he will cleanse his people too. On that day there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord. And on the pots of the house of the Lord shall be as bowls before the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all who sacrifice my karma and take them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them. And there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. God said he's saving his people. And on that day, all of the city will be holy. wonder if you notice what's sort of missing from this, this description of the city. Or what's hardly there? Zechariah started talking about the temple. We need to build a holy temple where God and holiness can dwell. And we need leaders like Joshua, the high priest, holy people whom God can use. But here it's not talking anymore about leaders or a certain class of holy people. The, the, the attention is no longer given to a holy place like the temple. <clears throat> because God says the whole city will be holy. Even the bells of the horses, which were unclean animals, they will be holy to the Lord. Uh, the, the utensils and the, the pots used for common purposes will be as holy to the Lord as anything else. Uh, God's no longer going to need a holy group of people for a, to serve a less holy group. All his people will be holy. The whole city will be made pure, fit to serve him, fit to be his people. God says he will save his people. And this is a bigger salvation than just building some temple. This is a bigger salvation than just one city. God is bringing salvation for his people, renewing the creation, making all his people holy. But his plans for the day of the Lord aren't just for his people. God also has plans for the nations. And while the nations have done much evil, while the nations, they're told, will continue to, to oppress, we heard in terrible terms how they would attack and, and hurt God's people, God tells us that judgment is coming for the nations. In verse 12, this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they're still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets. Their tongues will rot in their mouths. On that day, a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them, so that each will seize the hand of another, and the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of the other. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem. And all the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, garments in great abundance, and a plague like this plague shall fall on the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, whatever beasts may be in those camps. God's people would have feared the nations. They knew the great evil that had happened if the nations had attacked them in the past. They feared the evil that would come if the nations surrounded them, the nations would attack them. They knew the injustice that happened. Yet God said, a day is coming, a day of the Lord, when I will judge I will judge the nations. And this picture of how he will defeat the nations and protect the nations, it's, it's a reversal. 
where God's people would be defeated earlier on and their possessions would be scattered. Now we're told the possessions of the nations will stream into Jerusalem. Where the nations were fighting against Jerusalem, it's not that God, that a great army comes out of God's people and goes and defeats them. There's an army mentioned here, but it's, it's tiny. God defeats the enemies by himself. While the warriors are standing there waging war on his people, God, God is able, to, in graphic terms, to, to destroy them, to defeat them. God is able to turn them in on themselves in confusion. God says judgment is coming for the nations. All evil, God will hold, hold to account. All, all wrongs, God will make rights. God is bringing judgment. God will deliver his people from their enemies. And the people of Judah in this day, they might have cheered at this thought. Yes, the evil nations will finally be defeated. The evil threats and enemies, they'll finally be subdued. We can finally live in peace as God's people. Yet God isn't done. God's plans for the nations, for the world, God's plans even for those who have done evil doesn't end in judgment because God says that something else is coming for the nations. Salvation. Judgment is coming for the nations, but salvation also is coming for these enemies, the nations. Verse 16 then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. These warriors are going to become worshippers. The very ones making war on Jerusalem are going to be drawn in as his friends, as a part of his people. They will keep the Feast of Booths. We're told several times in the following verses that, again, it's, it's those who don't go up to keep the Feast of Booths, uh, they won't experience blessing. It's those who join the Feast of Booths who will be blessed. And it's a strange description. Uh, it's strange that nations would be joining the Feast of Booths because the Feast of Booths remembered God's deliverance from the nations. God had saved his people out of the Egypt, out of the nations, and then he'd protected them in the desert uh, as they roamed in tents. This is what the Feast of Booths remembered. But God said, actually, the very nations who I've delivered my people from, they're going to celebrate this salvation because they too will taste this salvation. This isn't just about delivering one nation from the others, but this is about me drawing in all nations. The nations will join the Feast of Booths to celebrate God's salvation. The Feast of Booths was also at harvest time. So every year as God's people celebrated the feast, they'd be gathering in the harvest, the wheat, the, the crops. They'd be coming in, celebrating God bringing in the harvest. And here God says, well, the great harvest will be when the nations come in to worship God. When the nations come in, God's harvest are drawn in. When warriors become worshippers, when salvation comes to the nations, God said that day is coming and on that day the Lord, verse 9, will be king over all the earth. On that day the Lord will be one and his name one. 
God had spoken to his people Israel in Deuteronomy saying, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yet here he says, I'm not just the Lord of, of one nation. I'm the Lord of all nations. The nations will come and worship the King, the Lord of hosts. The, king will, the Lord will be king over all the earth. To those in a day of small things, to those whose experience falls short of God's great promises, God says, don't worry, there is a great day coming, the day of the Lord. In that day, my people will be judged, yet my people will be saved. In that day, the nations will be judged, yet the nations themselves will be saved. On that day, the Lord will be king over all the earth. And it won't come just because of a temple or it won't come because of some special leaders. It will come as God himself comes, as God himself fights for his people, as God himself brings salvation. God says a great day is coming, the day of the Lord. And so it's important for us to ask, when is this day? This is the most important day when God will bring salvation and judgment to his people, to all the nations. When will the day of the Lord come? Well, firstly, we can see, well, the day of the Lord is to come. Because we look forward to a day when God will judge the living and the dead. Judgment is coming. One day Jesus will return, judge the living and the dead. Make all wrongs right. Hold all injustice, all evil, all sin to account. But also we look forward to a day of salvation when the humble will be lifted up, when God's people persecuted will be delivered, when every tear will be wiped away. We look forward to a day of salvation. We look forward to a new creation, a creation that seemed to be described here in, in Zechariah. On that day there shall be no light, cold or frost, like the, the seasons are passing away. On that day uh, where at evening time there will be light. Rev the end of Revelation tells us that in the new creation there'll be no need for a sun because God is there and it will be light. We're told on that day living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, just feeding the the rest of the world. And in Revelation, we're told that on that day in the new creation, there will be a river, a stream of water coming from God's throne, feeding the whole of the new creation. We're told on that day, the, king, the, the Lord will be king over all the earth. The Lord will be one. His name will be one. There is a day coming. And God will bring all things to completeness, when he'll be seen to be king over all the earth, when he will make all of creation new. On that day, there will be no need for a temple because, everything, because God himself will be there and everyone and everything there will be holy to the Lord, able to worship him freely. On, on that day, uh, the last of our sin will be, will be taken away. So we've been declared holy, we will experience that no more sin, not even the presence of sin. On that day, the Lord will be king over all the earth. The day of the Lord is to come. 
Yet at the same time, we see in this passage that some things have already come. Because when Jesus, God the Son, the Son of God, when Jesus came into this world, when he lived, died and rose again, well, the day of the Lord already came. The day of the Lord in some ways is to come, yet the day of the Lord in many ways has already come. Verse 2, God said, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. There is a day coming when the nations will attack God's people. Yet in Acts 4, we're told that that day came uh, when the, the nations and rulers were gathered against, not Jerusalem, but against the Lord and his anointed. The nations did array themselves against God's people, against God's person, his anointed. The nations were gathered together against Jesus. And, is they, and if they did that, well, that was God fighting for his people. When Jesus was rejected by his own people and the world, when Jesus was handed over to the Romans to be executed, so it's the nations, the rulers, even his own people gathered against him as God's person, our representative. Him being rejected, him being judged, him dying as our representative in our place. Verse 3 told us that the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem to the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. Now this scene sort of sounds like a Marvel movie. I can picture like a giant standing with two big boots uh, on the Mount of Olives, sort of throwing lightning bolts at, at the enemies, winning a great victory for his people. And God did win a great victory for his people. God did fight for his people on the Mount of Olives, yet it looked nothing like that, did it? Because on the Mount of Olives, there is a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And when God himself came to the Mount of Olives, when God himself came and went into this garden, he did fight for his people, yet it wasn't with a sword or any other weapon. He fought for his, his people as Jesus in tears prayed, Father, take this cup from me, yet not my will but your will be done. Our God did fight for us on the day of the Lord. As Jesus humbled himself, as Jesus gave himself for us in tears in that garden on the Mount of Olives. And as Jesus died, he rose again so that the new creation, which we look forward to, has broken into history. The resurrected Jesus, he is the beginning of the new creation. The new creation has begun in the resurrected Christ. And so as we hear of this promise of a new creation, well, Jesus has, has begun it. Jesus spoke of himself. Jesus spoke of uh, what was happening as he came, as, as people came to know him, as he attended the Feast of Booths in Jerusalem. John chapter 7, we see Jesus did quite a few things during the Feast of Booths. Uh, chapter 7, verse 37, we're told on the last day of the Feast of Booths, the great day, 
Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was saying, this day has arrived when the nations will come and celebrate the Feast of Booths. Yet it's not that they need to come in a certain month in the year or come to a certain city. All who come to Jesus from all the nations, all who come and trust in Jesus will find that they are God's people. All who come to Jesus will experience his salvation. All who come to Jesus will actually have rivers of living water flowing out of them. Because all who come to Jesus become his people. And it's from his people that his living waters will flow by his spirit. You see, the day of the Lord, when the nations would stream, when all who survives of all the nations who came up against Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. That day has begun. The nations, we have come. We who were God's enemies, we who fought against Him, we've been turned from warriors to worshippers. We've been drawn from being enemies to being friends. As we have come to Jesus, God's harvest, God's ingathering is happening. And we've been called his holy people. Verse 20, on that day there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord. Now we know Jesus because of his death and resurrection for us. Now we, who, his people, share his spirit. Well, all of us have been made holy. There, there are no special leaders who are closer to God than anyone else. There are no special leaders or special Christians who are more holy than anyone else. All of God's people have been made holy, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. This day has arrived when God said, all of my people will be holy. All of my people can approach me. And he did it through Jesus uh, we can all sacrifice. Uh, we can all draw near to our God in worship uh, because of Jesus' death and resurrection for us. The day of the Lord is to come, yet the day of the Lord has already come. We live in the now and the not yet. Uh, we live in a day when we realise that the day of the Lord was not just one day, but the day of the Lord was an age that we live in the midst of. And therefore, friends, we need to remember that today is the day of salvation. Today we live in a day of small things. Today we're still waiting for the fullness of many of God's promises. We still wait to experience so much. Yet today is the day of salvation. You may feel this tension in your Christian life, knowing that if you trust him, Jesus has made you holy. Yet every day feels like a day of small things as you battle with sin. You may feel this in your family or your friends, 
knowing Jesus has given us peace, yet we don't experience that peace yet in our relationships. You may experience this in your ministry. Maybe you seek to serve God in a, in a small group or in serving kids or as you seek to share the gospel and lead your family. Where Jesus has promised that he's building his church, yet you look around and you, you can't see much fruit. Jesus has promised that he's building his church, but it feels hard and fragile. We feel this tension as we look around the world and know that all authority in heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to the resurrected Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Yet so many people don't yet acknowledge it. We live in a day of small things. Uh, yet we are promised. While we live in a day of small things, today is the day of salvation. The day of the Lord has come and we live in it as we look forward to its fullness. Even if today seems like a day of small things, today is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has trusted in Jesus and is united to him, then they are a new creation. As the resurrected Jesus has begun the new creation, all of us who share in him, all of us who trust in him, we've been drawn into that new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that now God in Christ is reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. God is drawing the nations to himself. God is drawing warriors to become worshippers, enemies to become friends. God is forgiving sins. We do see this in our midst. We see this in our groups. We see this here in our church at Redeemer. We see it in our city. We see it around the world. We see God is drawing the nations to himself to worship him as the king. And 2 Corinthians 6.2 says that today is the day of salvation. While we still wait for so much, we still wait for the fullness of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord has come in Jesus. So today is the day of salvation. He's not counting people's sins against them. He's drawing people in, in repentance and faith to know Christ. And as we seek to trust him in this now but not yet, if we, as we seek to trust him and live for him and serve him now, as we seek to serve him and trust him in a day of small things, we need to remember that God works in small ways to do big things. When God came and fought for his people, his great victory came, his greatest victory came, not through something big and impressive, not through what you would call a big day, but through the smallest of days, the smallest of things, through Jesus, hunched over in tears, praying, not my will, but your will be done. This was the day of small things, yet God was using it to win his great victory. God tells us that warriors will become worshippers, that enemies will be drawn in to worship God the King, 
Yet we see that he did that through a day of weakness. On the day Jesus was crucified. Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, from verse 30, uh, speaks of when Jesus was there hanging on the cross. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And sometimes our world wants that, don't they? They say, if God is really with you, show us something big. Show us something impressive. Show us your power if God is really with you. And sometimes in our hearts we can feel like, if only I had power, then maybe God might work. But remember how God won his great victory. Verse 33, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From verse 37, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So the way of, to God was made available for all people. All could be made holy. And verse 39, when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. This is the first recorded warrior we have who became a worshipper. And he turned, he was drawn in to worship the king, the lord of the universe, not through a day of big things, but through a day of small things. So friends, don't give up. Keep serving Jesus. Keep trusting him in the small things. Keep speaking the gospel to your children. Keep sharing with your friends. Keep fighting sin, even though it feels small, even though you feel, you feel weak. Because God, in the day of small things, is doing great things. That is how he has always worked. We look forward to so much, the fullness of the day of the Lord, yet it has come. So today is the day of salvation. In the day of small things, we entrust ourselves to God who is doing great things. The Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name is one. Friends, that is already true. Yet one day that will be revealed fully for us to see and experience. In the day of small things, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. So let's do that right now. Father, you have made such great promises, and Lord, we have seen your faithfulness in sending Jesus. You did fight for us. Uh, in sending Jesus, we see you winning your great victory. In Jesus, we have been drawn from being enemies to being friends, from warriors to worshippers. In Jesus, we find forgiveness. In Jesus, we find cleansing. In Jesus, we find hope that we will enjoy him for all of eternity in his new creation. So help us to trust him, even if it feels like a day of small things. Help us to love him and serve him 
even a day of small things. Uh, You've shown us that it's not by our power, it's not by our might, but it's by your spirit that you work. So Father, we pray in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, in our city, in our world, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's in Jesus' good and great name that we pray. Amen.